Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have the guys from High Point Outfitters, Kevin Call and John Adams on the line. Guys, how you doing? Very good, Jay. We're in good. Uh, we're excited to talk to you. Thanks for having us. You're firing on all cylinders today? Yeah. Oh, the weather's nice. It's not blowing 100 miles an hour, and we're just looking for moisture to come our way. So things are looking yeah. good. Yeah. Good. I... Um Last time we talked, I think, was prior to the antelope and the elk application deadline, and obviously uh, those have come and passed, and the, the draw has come out, and uh, I'm sure you guys have got hunters for antelope and for elk and all, you know, all of that. Um, before we get into the deer stuff on the Kaibab, I uh, just kind of want to get an update from you guys uh, on you know where we're at last time it was you know a couple months ago since I talked to you so um, give us give us an update on current conditions out there in those units uh, I guess 10 9 8 7 those units that you guys guide you know Jay the um, of course for the listeners that don't know uh, we live right here in Flagstaff uh, most of our guides live right here in Flagstaff as well so you know, we concentrate uh, on all the units around Flagstaff, but uh, and we all, we always uh, we got uh, two guys uh, over in one and twenty-seven uh, as well. But uh, right here around Flagstaff, uh, you know, it, we're well off of our normal uh, moisture. Uh, we did not get the snow. We got some good rains this winter. Of course, the snowpack uh, you know sticks around a little bit longer. Uh, I just, you know, two or three weeks ago, uh, the the grass looked great. It was green enough. It warmed up. It warmed up quicker than normal. Uh, the grass was looking great. Uh, but I noticed just this last week, uh, things are already starting to dry out. Uh, it's unfortunate that we're kind of in that stage that we need to get some moisture here pretty quick. But the grass is still strong. Uh, if we can just get some moisture here in the next month, uh, I think we'll be okay. Uh, but certainly, you know, out horn hunting and stuff, I mean, there's more water in tanks, dirt tanks, than I had expected. So even though we're below average, uh, I think we're going to be okay. Uh, you know, I just noticed it starting drying out just in the last week with the heavy winds that we've had. But what do you think, John? You know, got. Yeah, John, I'm curious your thoughts as well. Um, yeah, there's definitely concerns. I think there's uh, people calling, you know, about their tags and, oh, should I t turn them back? Should I keep it? Should I turn them back? And it's just like, just hold on to them. You know, there's no, we're not even in the time crunch yet to turn back your tag. You know, they, they barely, there's bulls up to their thirds and stuff already. Um, you know, as far as, as far as we can see, it's not what we would want it to be, but um, where, where there's no concern. But, you know, I still think it's too early to, to say. I mean, yeah. you could get a downdraft next week. You know, there's still grass out there. There's been a few fires um, here around Arizona earlier than, than normal, I would say. Um, yeah. So you can definitely just tell by the by the size of the fires that's been around here that that it's dry. Dry, yeah. 
Kevin, going back to one thing you had said, I'm just curious about it. Um, uh, you know, when you're out shed hunting and kind of during turkey season and what have you, it's still pretty cold at night. And um, is there any benefit, you, you had said that you thought it greened up a little bit early, warmed up earlier. It, it, could that be looked at as a, as a positive in the fact that maybe some of that green feed, instead of having, you know, still pretty dang cold overnight, uh, you know, into April, um, you know, keeping that, that fresh feed from coming, is it possible that uh, the early green up, so to speak, the early warm up um, actually got them on green feed a little bit earlier than normal, or do you think it's pretty average? No, I, I mean, uh, I, you know, of course, with us living right here, I'm, I've got a green field that John does as well, uh, you know, two acres out in my front yard that I kind of, look at and see how the grass is doing uh, compared to out, uh, you know, out and about. But, no, it it, it greened up quicker because it, it certainly warmed up quicker than normal. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, there's there's good grass on the ground. It's just starting to dry out now. Uh, and if we can uh, just get a couple, uh, you know, reasonably decent uh, wet storms here for the spring, I think we'll be fine. But it definitely greened up uh, quicker because, and there was enough moisture in the ground that uh, that the green grass, uh, you know, took off. Uh, but it certainly got warmer quicker earlier uh, in the middle of April, uh, where we, you know, we saw it green up about three weeks ago. Yeah, we had we had sure. frost windshield two mornings ago and yeah. two weeks ago it snowed yeah. may 1st or whatever around that time so it's it's yeah. definitely a, a, a different year than, than so it, i mean would you say it's the you know is this the driest you've ever seen it or no way close to say oh two um or say 95 um you, you know or excuse me 96 or oh two i mean is, I mean, this, it, is it, this the dry Definitely dry. I mean, even out on, uh, um, I think it was by Cameron last week, there was 200 head of uh, horses that ended up dying. They, you know, did you hear about that? I didn't. Oh, yeah, there was like 200 horses that died uh, by Cameron. They said it was because it was too dry. Um, but, yeah, there, you can look it up in the news or whatever. They got pictures of it and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's dry. Don't don't get me yeah. wrong. It ain't it ain't like I don't I don't know. You know we you, we've you, had enough moisture. It's kind of been like every two to three weeks we'll get a storm. We'll get a little storm. We'll get a little storm, and that's keeping the moisture in the ground well enough that the grass is starting to grow. So um, uh, you know it's it's been spread out, uh, but certainly uh, not. Not like the years that you had mentioned, uh, where it was just you know devastated uh, from the get go. Yeah. Um, look, looking forward, obviously, there, you know we can't control the weather. Um, and, and let's say that you're one of those guys that maybe has drawn a tag, and you're looking for a trophy bull, whether you're a resident or non-resident or what have you, um, and you've got a lot of points and. Um, uh, I mean, at what point are, are are you looking at possibly saying, okay, yeah, that you know, they their their antlers are you know they're way off. I mean, I I would say that guys have well into August 
talking on the elk before they need to make any major decisions. What are your thoughts? Uh, you, usually the end of July, beginning of August is is usually the time that, that we know what what caliber bulls are out there. Um, usually we're running trail cameras, and I'm sure we'll talk about that issue later, but usually we're running trail cameras um, throughout that time, and we got a good grasp on, you know, front ends and the back end, uh, you know, on the horns and stuff um, to, to give a good idea of, you know, age class and horn growth and stuff like that. So, Yeah. What uh, On antelope, um, I'm no antelope guy at all, um, but I've actually heard on dry years antelope actually grow better. Is there any truth to that, or have you guys heard of that? Um, that on drier years that antelope actually grow, you know, they're growing horns, not antler, and, and it actually grows better. You know, Jay, we, we've heard kind of the same thing. We've, we have noticed that, you know, they feed on the different, uh, there's not the different type of feed on a dry year versus a wet year, and I think probably that feed does make a little difference uh, on a dry year. Um, uh, you know, body... Body weight, I think, uh, you know, is affected as well. Um, I, I don't know. I uh, antelope are fun little creatures to hunt, and they, you know, they mature so much quicker than an elk does. And uh, you can you can see, you know, just a huge difference between a three year old and a four year old. Whereas an elk, you know, there's just not that big of a difference. But yeah, I yeah. I. We're going to have a good year on the antelope uh, just because there was some good carryover from last year, I think, uh, and I think we're going to be fine uh, on the antelope. Okay, good stuff. Um, let's dive into the deer. Um, obviously, we've got the uh, deer applications uh, and the sheep actually coming up here uh, in, in the second week of June uh, on that Tuesday. And uh, you guys obviously do deer hunts um, up on the Kayabab. And I'm looking at the season structure dates right now, uh, 12A East, uh, October 26th through November 4th. Um, there's the same hunt in 12A West. There's uh, 95 tags on the east side. On the early hunt, there is 500 uh, on the west side. And then the late hunt dates, um, are November 23rd through December 2nd, uh, 12A East has 30 tags, and 12A West on the late hunt, uh, same dates, November 23rd through December 2nd, has 100 tags. Uh, and then you, you've got 12B, uh, you've got the, the early hunt in 12B, the 26th to the November 4th, there's 25 tags, and then you've got uh, the, the late hunt in 12B, there's only 20 tags, November 23rd through December 2nd, and then you've obviously got the 12B West, which is the 26th of October, uh, same hunt structure, November 23rd through December 2nd on the, on the late hunt. Uh, and there's 140 on 12B West, and then uh, 75 on 12B, late, 12B West late hunt. Um, let's talk about the Kayabab uh, in general uh, terms and how do you expect the year this year to be up on the Kayabab? How are the uh, carryover deer from last year? Seems like the Kayabab, from what I'm hearing, is kind of trending upward, meaning 
you know, it's definitely not trending downward. I'm just curious your thoughts on, on overall general thoughts of the Kaibab. It's, um, Jay, since we talked moisture, let me talk moisture first. I think um, uh, Flagstaff didn't get as much snow uh, as we typically, nor did the Kaibab, but the Kaibab got its fair share uh, much much better than what Flagstaff uh, did. Uh, we were up there, I don't know, six, six weeks ago, and there was some you know decent snow still uh, on the Kaibab. So I think the Kaibab is faring well on the moisture side. Uh, we we definitely feel that uh, the you know the herd is on an upswing. Uh, they're keeping uh, tags steady. They've been able to keep tags steady for the last you know four or five years. So tag numbers uh, have not been fluctuated, even though the herd uh, is doing very well. Uh, so we we're seeing uh, you know a lot more mature bucks the last two or three years than we did prior two or three years prior to that. So. It's definitely uh, on an upswing. What do you think, John? Yeah, no, it, it uh, Kaibab was was awesome last year. I say this year it's going to be just as good. Um, Game and Fish has been doing really well hauling uh, water out there towards the end of last year. They were hauling nonstop during the late hunt. Um, and, uh, I, you know, dirt tanks have water up there. Um the catchments have water, um, so it's uh, it's it's doing good. But um, as far as age class, age class is definitely there. Um, from what we saw last year, there's a lot of good holdover bucks. We got a lot of trail cam pictures of you know top end bucks that did not get harvested last year. So um, those will definitely be some bucks that will we'll be trying to find again this year. So, You know, Jay, I, it's kind of unusual. I've been hunting since the 70s. That's the first time that I can ever remember the game of fish hauling water during the hunts. I, I've never seen it. So it was dry last year, uh, you know, almost critically dry um, uh, where the deer were starting to concentrate. Yeah, it was it was bad. You could sit on a, a water hole and you would have deer hitting it every hour you'd have deer hitting it so you could you could park you could park on the water and the deer would walk right up to your truck on the water unbelievable from a from a hunting standpoint when it gets you know dry like that it congregates those deer does it not and and if if hunters listening if conditions remain the same or if they see those conditions on on a deer hunt and or an elk hunt any hunt to be honest with you, um, big game hunt, when it gets that dry, would you agree from a strategy standpoint, you have to kind of take a step back and say, listen, it's really dry. They don't have potholes, water anywhere. They've got to go to these tanks or they've got to go to these game and fish drinkers. I mean, you can almost base a whole hunt strategy around that, can you not? It was, it was, you almost feel bad, I mean, honestly. But, yeah, no, it, you, it was, complete powder around every single like cup of water i mean if there was a yeah. little bit of water it was completely powder just from all the deer track around as, the as far as a rut as take that a step further as far as rutting deer and having a you know a good rut you know obviously if the animal's body condition is good would you agree that uh 
if you get those congregation areas and you get those deer hammering water, those deer are around each other a lot more, there's a lot more interaction. In my opinion, it creates more of an intense rut at times where, and maybe it's not the actual breeding, but because those deer are, you know, jammed into general areas that are, you know, more concentrated, it seems that when you're observing, and I'm, I'm, I'm open for your uh, opinion, uh, it seems as though you have a better rut because you're actually seeing more deer congregated together, bucks are checking does and what have you. Is that what you saw last year? Yeah, I, I would say so. The, I mean, there was definitely, you know, the herd bucks that, that were staying, staying with the does and stuff, and whenever they would come into water, they would try to, you know, keep their same group of ladies as they left, but... It was, I've never, I mean, I'm not, you know, 80 years old or whatever, been around that long, but I've never seen it like that. It was, it was bad. I mean, you wouldn't even their knee down, you know, take a knee around one of those water holes because of the ticks. I mean, the deer were just pounding those water holes. I mean, it was, it was bad. So, um, I, I hope it's not like that again this year, but, um, you know, Game and Fish did do a really good job getting water to where they needed to. So, what what are your thoughts? I mean, I, th I think certainly they were highly, uh, more highly concentrated. Of course, as you know, uh, Jay. I mean, uh, on those late hunts, uh, it's it's common uh, for them to, you know, pile up into some areas. Uh, but last year they were just, you know, they weren't venturing far uh, a mile maybe a mile and a half away from the water. So the water sources, uh, you know, they were they were getting pounded last year for sure. Guys, when you look at the, when you break down the hunt, you've got those early hunts and you've got the late hunts. I'm looking, uh, obviously, Go Hunt Insider is a sponsor of this podcast, and I'm looking at um, the draw odds. And when I specifically look at the early hunts, um, you've got, uh, let's see, on the 12A West, the early hunt starting October 26th, uh, a non-resident with uh, 10 points uh, is a guarantee, and then you take that 12A East, and it bumps up to 13 points uh, to be guaranteed to draw that unit. My question would be specifically between 12A East, early, and 12A West early, the way if you look at the odds, it's harder to draw the 12A East tag. Um, but I'm not so sure that it's a three-point difference. And I'm curious you, you guys' thoughts on if you agree with the statistics and think that you know 12A East is a better early hunt, uh, or if you like the 12A West early hunt comparatively. Yeah. Um. It's kind of a, uh, a phenomenon that uh, we've noticed. Uh, it's that east side uh, tag is harder to get. It's the only reason it's harder to get is because of the 95 tags versus the 500 tags. Um, we prefer to hunt the west side uh, on the early and late hunt. Uh, you know, if you just go back about five years ago uh, when the warm fire uh, that mostly burned on the east side, burned a little bit on the west side, but up on top, but mostly on the east side, 
we preferred the east side, uh, but that warm fire has matured enough uh, that uh, really the west side uh, is a much better hunt. So we prefer the west side. Uh, we hunt both sides. Uh, last year we had hunters on the east uh, early and west early. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll hunt both sides, but there's no, in our opinion, there's no reason uh, because of the draw odd difference uh, uh, to, you know, chase that early east side tag. Uh, there's, there's just really no benefit to that east side, even though, you know, it's harder, harder to draw. So, uh, and again, the only reason it's harder to draw is because of the less tag. So we, we chase that sure. early west side tag. Uh, we would hunt both of the tags, but the west side uh, is better. And one of the reasons why it is better, Jay, is because uh, no matter what the weather is, whether it's hot, you know, of course it's end of October, sometimes we have snow for that hunt, sometimes it's cold, but most of the time it's hot. Uh, we, can, uh, we can find good mature bucks on that west side uh, no matter what the weather pattern is. Uh, the east side can be a little more fickle. Uh, and a little harder to uh, locate uh, and relocate those good bucks because a lot of those good bucks on the early hunt live on the west side because there's so much more water on the west side. They don't move to the east side until the middle of the hunt. It's really hard to keep a client happy for three or four days just saying be patient, the bucks will show up, uh, and sometimes that's a difficult proposition for a hunter. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I've been to the Kaibab a few times, but I'm certainly no expert on the Kaibab. But in, in general, guys, doesn't the west side have quite a bit more transition zone, meaning um, depending on where they're at within that transition, you can kind of find them, whereas on the east side, you kind of go from the top, and it's pretty thick, and you basically drop straight off. There's not that great, you know, good glassing transition area where you can catch those deer. West side has has three tiers. Well, we consider it three tiers, but um, it, yeah, it it's big country. To think that you're just going to go up and figure out the Kaibab in a couple weekends ain't going to happen. So yeah, you know, Jay, yeah. from the from the high high high. Of course, the you know Highway 67 is the you know east west border. So from the pavement up on top. Uh, down to the winter range on the west side, uh, probably 25 miles uh, to the sagebrush. Yet on the east side, it's only a four or five mile transition. You're you're in the sagebrush, so you're exactly right. You've got you know a, a four or five mile transition zone versus a 20 mile transition zone on the west. So there's there's a there's a lot more deer on the west side. You know. I think 75, 80 percent of the deer herd is on the west side. Uh, 20 to 25 percent on the east side, so there's a lot more deer. Of course, that's the reason why there's more tags. You know, a guy that wants to be by himself wants to and and is going to you know hunt that early hunt because he's given up on getting the you know the late hunt. Uh, if he wants to hunt by himself, uh, you know that east side is a good option because you can get by yourself with 95 tags. Uh, you know, you can find places in the transition zone when there's not a lot of hunters. Uh, on the west side, you're you know you're competing with 500 people. It's a bigger area, but you know those deer are moving through similar areas, and so we do have a little bit of hunter concentration uh, on the early west hunt. Yeah, the, the yeah. best buck that came off the Kaibab last year was on the east side. 
240. I was just going to ask you guys that as far as, you know, those, those one or two, you know, one, two, three, you know, top bucks on each side, would you say that the top two bucks, you know, on the east side and the top two bucks on the west side are virtually the same? As far as the upper end top, you know, top couple of bucks, there's probably no difference, is there? Uh Last year there was just because there was that 240 buck killed on the east side, but besides uh -huh. that, no. I mean, upper end bucks on the Kaibab, usually you're trying to kill a two, 205, 215 type buck is is a upper end type buck on the Kaibab. I mean, there there are, you know, definitely better bucks, um, but it, it, as far as them getting killed every year, usually if you kill a... 200 plus inch buck usually there's you know three um i think there was probably about three 200 inch plus bucks killed off the west side and probably three off the east side last year so if, okay. if that gives you uh, a ballpark there's a there's a lot yeah. of 180 type bucks i want to say a ton but you know there's there's definitely a lot of 80 180 type bucks and then there's a bunch of 160 to 140 type bucks. And then, you know, we're trying to, like on the early hunts, we're trying to target um, 180 plus type bucks is is what we are trying to get on the ground. And on the late hunts, we're trying to get those 200 plus inch bucks on the ground. So That makes sense. Um, when you look at, uh, let's, let's bounce back real fast. Uh, when you look back on the archery hunt up on the Kayabab, on that hunt, you can hunt 12A East, 12A West, and 12B. In other words, you can hunt all three units, uh, and it looks like as a non-resident with six points, it's 100% guarantee, um, and that's August 24th to September 13th. Now, I know you guys are at that time focused on your antelope hunts and really getting geared up for your elk, um, and I'm not even sure if you guide it, but my question would be, you know, what kind of hunt, in your opinion, is is that Kayabab archery hunt? You know, if you, if you want to look at bucks all day long, that is a phenomenal hunt. There's a lot of deer, a lot of bucks. Uh, we, we do uh, guide the archery hunt. We like to hunt the archery hunt because what that does is those bucks uh, remain in the same spot during the archery hunt and the early rifle hunt. So that gets us geared up for our early rifle hunt as well as hunting the archery hunt. Uh, so the good thing about the archery hunt is you can scout all summer long. Those bucks don't move. They stay for the first at least uh, two or three days of the early rifle hunt. So you can effectively scout the Kaibab on that, uh, you know, on the upper end of the Kaibab and, and archery hunt it and the first few days on the early rifle hunt. It's great fun, uh, beautiful area, uh, you know, up in the aspens, uh, up in the uh, fir uh, trees. I mean, it's, you know, you're 8,000 plus feet. It's phenomenal country, uh, a lot of fun and a lot of deer, a lot of opportunities for 160 plus bucks. Um, and you will definitely see, you know, 180, 190 bucks. Uh, as you know, that's probably the hardest animal to kill with a bow. Uh, in my opinion, is mule deer. Uh, but just looking at them, just watching them, fun stuff. I mean, great hunt, fun hunt. No offense to you yeah. coos hunters out there. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that here in a minute. I got a bone <laughs> to pick with you. I got a bone to pick with you, John. But uh, uh, <laughs> guys, 
the muzzleloader deer hunt, um, I, I need to add that the, the 12A East, uh, there's 50 tags November 9th through November 15th, and then November 9th through the 15th, the 12B West uh, muzzleloader deer hunts. Now, I have not been on that hunt, but from an outsider looking into that hunt, you know, it's after the early hunt, it's before the late hunt. I got to think that that's a pretty tough hunt because those deer are probably mixed, you know, heading in transition area and they're kind of all over the place. What is your uh, general feelings of that muzzleloader deer hunt in on 12A East and 12B West? Yeah, Jay, that yeah, I think you you're, you're right. I mean, it is a uh, I mean, it's a tough tag to draw uh, because of the lack of tags, um, and uh, it's. It can be plus or it just depends on the weather. I mean, that hunt's a little bit more uh, weather dependent, uh, whether they've moved off the top or not. I don't know. It, it uh, It's a hunt that we do uh, with mixed results, I guess. It's a little, uh, yeah. it's a little difficult to uh, really assure somebody because you're right. On the early hunt, we can scout. We can scout all summer. We know what bucks we want to kill. On the late hunt, uh, they're certainly more glassable. They're in the rut. They've moved off the top. Uh, we can locate good bucks uh, on the late hunt, but that muzzleloader hunt is just kind of an in-betweener. You can't scout for it. Uh, they've moved. And not to mention, um, Kevin, I mean, they've been really chased around on not only the archery hunt and that early hunt. You know, they've been pushed around. So, I mean, I, I know every year there's a decent buck shot, but I, I would think from a patterning standpoint that muzzleloader hunt would be tough. It kind of surprises me that the, um, you know, that it takes as many points as it does. Uh, but I, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, let's jump over to um, the late hunts. Uh, you talk about 12A West, 12A East, and then we'll, we'll talk about 12B in a minute. But um, you, you've already said that you, you, know, you, you prefer that 12A West late hunt um, but you guys also hunt the 12A East uh, late hunt. Uh, describe a little bit of the difference between the two, um, you know, from, from a deer movement standpoint, uh, from, a, from a standpoint of, you know, seeing people. You know, is there one that, you know, oh, the West hunt, you see tons of people. The East hunt, you know, you, there's only 30 tags on the East side and 100 on the West side. But like you said, there's way more country on the West side. I'm curious. How do people spread out on those late hunts between the east side and the west side? Yeah, both of those hunts are phenomenal hunts. Uh, they don't uh, the really, uh, other than last year, because the deer were so concentrated around water that we have a little bit of uh, interaction with other hunters. But typically, uh, that's not a problem. Uh, and uh, on either on either side, uh, the difference between the west and the east, I guess the reason why we prefer the west uh, over the east is uh, go back to weather. No matter what the weather's like, uh, we're able to find good quality bucks on the west side. On the east side, if you don't have good snow, good moisture, good uh, cold weather, um, the, a lot of those good bucks do not move into the wilderness area. They stay up in the park, and they're 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 not available to hunt. And how disappointing is that after waiting you know 20 years to get that east side late tag? 
and uh, the majority of the good bucks are you know still sitting in the park and not huntable. So on the west side, we just don't have that problem uh, because there's so much more country on the west side. But on that east side, uh, you know, a lot of times that Saddle Mountain wilderness, those bucks don't move off; uh, they stay in the park. And so, uh, but <clears throat> hey, in, either one of those hunts are dynamite hunts, and you put weather on top of that rut. Both of them can be phenomenal hunts, but there's just a little bit more risk uh, drawing that uh, uh, east side uh, tag. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, 12B, uh, and then talk uh, talk about the dynamic of 12B and then 12B West, and how uh, you know if you have 12B, you can hunt. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can hunt both. If you have a 12B West, you have to stick on the west side. Um, break down 12B for the listeners uh, and talk a little bit about it from head to toe, if you will. Yeah, it, uh, on, the, on the early hunt last year, they, they did a phenomenal job uh, the, um, killing some giant bucks on the early 12B um, hunts. They actually killed better, better bucks on the early hunt than they did on the late hunt. So um, those deer, uh, we have uh, trail cam pictures from the, deer on the on the 12a west side and they migrate all the way down to the 12b side which is kind of crazy to think about them them going going across uh the canyon but they uh it, it's definitely a very good tag there's there's honestly there's really no difference between um a 12b late tag and a 12a west late tag um i would take either tag um you can kill phenomenal bucks on either one of them the uh, 12B early tag can be challenging sometimes. Last year, it definitely wasn't. All the deer pushed off into there, and like I said, they killed some phenomenal bucks on the early hunt. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what do you got? Yeah, I think yeah, I, you know, I, to me, there's no well, <clears throat> there's no. We we prefer the 12B West uh, because of the number of tags easier to draw. You know, that 12B tag, of course, gives you the ability to hunt the vermilions and on that side, but uh, with the amount of uh, depredation that's occurred, uh, the lack of water over there, uh, there's just, uh, there's not uh, really a, uh, a reason to try to chase that tag, in our opinion. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we typically uh, have our folks uh, do the 12B West um, because that's typically where we're hunting anyway. Yeah, there's just no, like, remote places to get. It, you know, you can go a uh, 20-minute drive and be on the one end, you know. Uh, even just talking to uh, Maverick. You know Maverick from Bull Basin up here? You met him? I, I don't. I don't know. But I was talking to him just last night about it. He, his uh, father-in-law had the tag last year, and, he, he said he was pretty discouraged just because he felt like he couldn't get away. Like, there's, you know, uh, the pavement, you know, you can drive 20 minutes off the pavement and you're, you're to the edge of the unit, you know. So it, it's kind of hard to get away from, from that. Uh, but, yeah, if you have the whole 12B, yeah, you can go hunt the sands and stuff like that, and you can definitely get away from people there. There's just very few deer there, but whenever you see one, it's it's usually something pretty decent. So, 
Guys, I want to take just a second here to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider. and We talked about some of the different point levels, and I was using the chart here on GoHunt Insider to tell me that. And it's uh, the best Western hunter, hunting resource there is in, in, when you're evaluating states and draw odds and statistics and harvest data and, and such. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code, and you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card, and you can automatically spend that $50. Uh, and some guys are buying Yeti Ramblers and uh, putting it towards purchases of, uh, of other things in the gear shop, and I highly encourage people to check them out. I thank them for their sponsorship. Also, Kuyu.com, that's K-U-I-U.com. They make the best, in my opinion, ultralight hunting gear uh, available on the market. I've been wearing it since uh, late 2010 and just really like that gear. Uh, Phonescope.com, use the JScott16 promo code. You're going to get an automatic 10% discount if you use the JScott16 promo code. And then the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, uh, use the JScott promo code and you're going to get a 10% discount there. Uh, guys, I know that you're probably aware of the trail camera um, potential ban, potential change in ruling. Um, I was in Mexico for about a month, but from what I understand, they had it on their plate. The commission had it on their plate uh, at the last commission meeting, and I, I've heard that they've pushed it off to the, to the next meeting. Um, just curious from your, you guys' perspective, um, either A, what you've heard, or B, your thoughts on the potential ban, uh, and maybe C, uh, your thoughts on maybe what you guys would like to see. Um, curious your thoughts. Yeah, there's definitely uh, a lot of talk going around. Um, there's, there's people that like trail cameras just to go out and have something to do in the summertime and go check trail cameras. Um, we, we definitely enjoy it. Um, I could honestly go either way with this. Um, I, I, uh, there's just very, there's, there's, there's some people that, that don't abide by the rules. Um, so I think putting rules on, on the, something that, that there's no game and fish officer to even enforce it. There's not enough uh, manpower to enforce the rule. Um, kind of gives me a sour taste in my mouth because I would have to abide by the rule or I'm going to abide by the, by the rule. But knowing that there's other people that are not going to do the quarter mile thing um, away from a water hole, um, I also think that uh, that they should probably either just leave it as is, don't don't deal with the trail camera um, thing if you can't enforce it, or um, get rid of them completely. And I would be completely fine um, either way. Uh, I think they maybe should. Uh, um, mirror kind of like the no-fly thing, 48 hours before any hunt starts in the unit. Um, just pull every single trail camera out of the unit and uh, get rid of them completely. Um, but putting them up, what they're, what they're trying to do right now, for people that don't know, is they're trying to, you know, make, make them a quarter mile away from any water hole, um, which, which that's going to be pretty hard for, you know, somebody that, you know, pretty soon wants to just be 100 yards off a water hole and feel that nobody's even going to see their trail camera. And then the guy uh, that, you know, 
has a spring or there might be a, a water catchment in a rock that nobody's going to ever see or know about, he's going to put it right on the water hole. It's just uh, it's, it, it's something that I don't feel like they're ever going to get a grasp on, and, and there's too many people that enjoy trail cameras that, that don't necessarily even hunt. Um, they just like being out there and seeing wildlife. There's some people that have definitely abused it completely, putting four or five trail cameras at one water hole to get every angle. Um, it looks like you're going into a disco club whenever you go check out the <laughs> water hole. Um, yeah, I, I'm torn either way, but I do have a lot of uh, uh, a lot of insight on this whole entire thing. I know that. Uh, that there's commissioner tag holders that um, that bought tags like you know a couple hundred thousand dollars in these statewide tags and uh, you know they bought them under these set of rules and now they're going to change them before their hunt even starts and you know that yeah, that's that's definitely unfair if I was to spend a couple hundred grand um, on a tag and then they change the rules before my hunt even starts, that that doesn't fit well with me either. I do know that they're scared about losing out on some money um, from these statewide uh, tag holders um, for, for, for the following well, year. Well, really, John, doesn't that, um, I mean, that affects you and me and affects every sportsman, and that's a whole nother discussion, but the reality is if less money comes in on those tags, it affects all of us because that's less money on the ground that gets put right back into water catchments and, uh, you know, transplants and surveys and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, doesn't that affect us all? Yeah, 100%. Yep. I, that's, yeah. I mean, I don't, I think they're, I think they took it off their plate because they, there was some other verbiage in there that they wanted to look at before they they went through this whole entire thing. You know, there was there was um, you know like hunting a quarter mile away from a house. Well, that would landlock square mile sections. You know, there's 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 more things to, to just the trail camera why they push it off the plate. So they they want to go over some more things, but uh, yeah, I mean. It, it definitely affects the animals. Um, it definitely affects, you know, um, you know, statewide tag holders that are bringing the money in. It affects outfitters that are doing statewide tags. Um, it affects everybody, honestly. It affects, you know, yeah. the, you know, my dad who goes and puts one camera out behind his house. You know what I mean? It affects, it affects everybody. So, yeah. you know, one thing. Kevin, uh, your thoughts? Yeah, Jay, the, it's my understanding last week the commissioners voted on it and it was 2-2. Luckily, there wasn't a fifth commissioner because who knows how it had gone down, so they've, they've pushed it off another month. But I, I just I don't know how um, they're ever going to police uh, the, you know, the rule says does it assist in taking uh, wildlife. Well, when somebody's hanging uh, a camera... Uh, and doesn't even have a tag in the unit, uh, is that assisting them taking wildlife next year, the year after, or, or I don't know how they police that 
uh, idea and people that are just out, you know, uh, joyriding with cameras, uh, apparently they can, you know, they can do what they want to do. So I, I don't know. I, I just, I, to me, they either need to take, you know, take them off or leave it on. Of course, most of Unit 10, for example, uh, the private property and what have you, there's a lot of, uh, you, you can't probably three-quarters of uh, Unit 10, you can't hang a camera. We were a little, uh, you know, disgusted about that, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago when it went into effect, but it really hasn't affected us at all. As long as there's a, uh, a level playing field where either the cameras are on or the cameras are off, not some, uh, you know, definition of what is, you know, what's assisting to help take wildlife. Uh, yeah, someone's removed. interpretation, when you have that interpretation factor in there, you're saying that that can create a problem because everybody's interpretation is different. Yeah, um, yeah and the law my, my thing is, I, you know, I, I, have, I, I have my first trail cameras. I used them in Mexico on private land. Uh, I don't use trail cameras on public land in Arizona. I've seen the problems that they create. But I am of the opinion that, man, let's, let's stop trying to, you know, govern every single thing we do. I wish sportsmen could come together and, and, and be sportsmen and, you know, figure out our own plan. But with that being said, I hate seeing the guy that's in some random unit that's like you were saying, John, you know, is monitoring some, you know, uh, little spring that's not bothering anybody. No one else is hiking up there. It's you know, and he's getting great photos of bears and turkey and you know lions and deer and elk and whatever. And you know he's got a little tree stand hung. It's different than up on you know nine or ten or or up on the strip or on the kayak where you know you've got fifteen hanging at a trick tank. Um, but I think the easy solution is just to figure out. Uh, like a no fly, like 48 hours before or seven days before, or just do a time frame and say, these are the dates the cameras can run and these are the dates that aren't. And you say, well, you've got auction tag 365 holders. Well, you know, there is some time when the cameras can't run and there's some times when the cameras can and it's simple. If a game of fish or a forest service finds a camera in the no, you know, no time zone, you know, no fly zone, so to speak, just pull the camera and that camera gets, you know, property of the state and it gets auctioned off and you know let let them govern like that or if sportsmen find a camera feel free to pull it it's you know you can pull any camera you find during these dates you turn them in and uh that seems pretty simple to me then you don't have the conflicts around the water holes during the hunts and all of that but then you still have your guys in the summer or after the season you know that want to enjoy you know taking inventory and what it just seems like a good compromise to me um, but obviously they're not asking me my opinion, but that is kind of my opinion. I hate to see, I hate to see any of our quote-unquote privileges or rights going away. Um, and, you know, I believe trail camera is probably a privilege. I don't think it's a right at all. Um, but it's, it's something that a lot of people enjoy, so I hate to see it just completely go away. But that's my opinion. Um, but I, I mean, so say Game and Fish goes up to a, to a tank, they see a trail camera there. They take the trail oh, camera. Oh, it's not even a hunter. It's a bird watcher's camera or something. I mean, I get that, too. It's like, well, how do you go? Not only that? that, I mean, it, it. who gets in trouble for that camera? I mean. Well, I don't, I don't know that anybody does. I almost think they, if they, no, if, if no, they find them. There's no attachment registration. So, 
So the guy, all he did was he tried to push the rule and, well, and tried to get yeah. So what you're saying is, you're and, saying and a guy says, well, I'm going to run the camp, I'm going to run the camera, and if they find it and if they confiscate it, fine, but maybe I'll get away with it and maybe maybe I can, you know, pull a card before it gets, you know, or maybe they never find it and ha-ha, I've run the camera the whole season. That's what you're saying. Yeah, in, in yeah, where, I mean, I where that guy, that. the only reason why we run cameras is just so there's not another outfitter doing something we're not doing. So so we can offer our clients the same exact service, if not better, than any other outfitter out there. But whenever, you know, somebody else is doing something and they don't care about their reputation, they don't get in trouble. So it... Yeah, you know, that's a good that's point. Where that's a good point. They either ban them completely or they leave it alone. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if I, if I, I if I was faced with that decision, uh, even though I'm not a huge fan of trail cameras, I'd probably say just leave them alone. That's my kind of opinion today. It might change tomorrow, but um, anyway, it's definitely a controversial topic. I wish we could figure something out that works for everybody, but you know how it is. It, it's never going to work for everybody, um, yeah, no matter what you do. But, I wish uh, they would go away. I, I don't like getting my camera stolen, and then I don't like paying for cameras. I don't like <laughs> buying batteries. I don't like losing SD cards. I don't like keeping track of 100 SD cards. And then, yeah. you know, like I said, you, you, like the last time I was on your podcast, just talking about my bull, how nobody had trail cam pictures because we killed them in a spot. There was no trail cameras allowed. So that's kind of the fun part of going out with without trail cameras is you don't know what's out there. So that's what I, I mean. Like. Certainly, certainly for me over the years, the fun of it for me has been not knowing what's there and, you know, trying to take inventory and such. And it seems as though, you know, hunting is, it, it, it's, it's kind of morphed and gotten so competitive and everybody, like you said, you were talking about outfitters, you know, they have to run cameras in order to stay competitive. Um, it's kind of unfortunate it's come to that, but it's kind of what we're in now, the, the idea of just going out and seeing what you can glass up and seeing what you can find um, is kind of gone. So, um, who knows what the answer is, guys? Um, any any final thoughts either on the Kayabab uh, or any any other matter for that matter? I'll give you guys each a chance to um, have some concluding thoughts, and then we'll wrap up here. Yeah, no, Jay. I, overall, uh, we're excited about the Kayabab, the progress of the Kayabab. I think the deer are doing great up there. Uh, we we enjoy being up there every year. It's uh, just a fantastic place to be. Uh, and uh, other than Flagstaff, hey, you just won't be on the Kaibab. It's, uh, you know, just a, a fun place uh, to enjoy some time uh, here in Arizona. So if anybody gets a tag, give us a holler. Uh, and it, I guess my one point is if you don't want to wait 20 years for a tag, seriously consider the early rifle hunt on the Kaibab or the archery hunt. It's it's worth hunting. Um, you know, we killed a hundred and ninety what one inch buck last year on the early hunt. Uh, those early hunts uh, can be good, uh, and you know you can hunt it twice uh, versus once on the late hunt. And I burned my points last year for the early tag. I just I didn't want to wait uh, any longer and uh, knew I could draw the early tag. And uh, it, the early hunt's a good hunt. 
but uh, certainly it's hard to beat that late rut hunt. But if my two cents, uh, you know, take a look at that early hunt and seriously consider it if you're ready to come to Arizona and hunt. Yeah. Sounds good. John? Appreciate you having us on again. Uh, and, uh, no, I, uh, I I think I said what I was going to say, so <laughs> okay. I appreciate okay, it. good. Um, you guys, um, please let uh, listeners know. Um, I'll also um, link it up in the show notes, but uh, let them know how they can get a hold of you, how they can follow you, etc. Yeah, um, uh, highpointoutfitters.net is the best place to catch us. That's our website, of course. Our Facebook and all that's on there as well. Uh, my uh, Instagram is love to hunt with no vowels. So uh, for the it's LVTHNT. Uh, is my handle. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of uh, getting to a point that I'm almost over uh, posting on Instagram. It's I don't know. It takes so much time and what have you. But on occasion, uh, I throw posts out there. John's much more uh, into the Instagram thing. <laughs> so give him your stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, you can get a hold of us on the the website and call us off the website or. Uh, uh, email us off the website, um, and then uh, Instagram handle is uh, az underscore hunter, and um, yeah, that's that's about it. You can watch some of our YouTube videos. We haven't loaded any new YouTube videos for a few years, been slacking on that, but besides uh, that, everything's been good. So, Jay, you're doing a good Duh. job on your podcast. I enjoy your podcast, and always. Uh, uh, you know, pick up, man, you're getting up in the 300s or some 400s. I don't know where you're at, but, man, it uh, I certainly uh, pick off the ones I enjoy uh, uh, listening to. And this Conserve and Protect uh, uh, Arizona thing has kind of caught my interest and uh, appreciate throwing uh, information out there like that. Yeah, you know, it's um, definitely – I've been in Mexico so I don't really know what's happened since I left. I need to follow up and see where they're at on that. But uh, it's definitely an issue that's uh, concerning and definitely an issue that, you know, some of the most uh, valued and trusted people that I know uh, in the, you know, sportsman industry with the different wildlife groups are saying that there's definitely a need. Um, and so, you know, the, the biggest thing is figuring out as, as a collective group how to, meet that need and how to, you know, educate the public and to uh, fight some of this, these anti-hunting groups. So I don't know exactly what the answer is, but uh, it's definitely something we need to be talking about. And, um, John, I'm still going to work on uh, converting you uh, over to being a coos deer nut. And uh, there is still time. You're still young, so there's still time for me to continue to chisel away and work work with you on that, and uh, hopefully one day you will wake up and see the light, and, um, you know, you can deny it now and, and all of that, but one day you will wake up and you will realize uh, how you've been uh, wandering in your path, and uh, you, you will figure out that coos deer are king, and uh, once you do, then you'll be calling me, you know, begging for forgiveness and saying, you know, why was I so hard on you, and, you, you know, but I'll stay with you, and uh, I'll, I'll keep praying for you, okay, and praying for that conversion into a, from a mule deer hunter to a coos deer hunter. That's awesome. Yeah, one, <laughs> I, I do have deep down inside of me, I would like to go on a, uh, on a Mexico coos deer hunt. 
I just can't. Okay, well, that's a start. That's that's Dude, one. Start I would never for the dark blow side. my points Tuesday here in Arizona. Let's just say that. That's, once once you venture down that path, uh, so so what I'm saying is there is a glimmer of hope. If you've got Mexico Tuesday on your radar, then I'm I'm smiling, and then there is a glimmer of hope for you. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing, and um, I'll be posting this up. And uh, hope you guys have a great summer, and look forward to talking to you again, uh, maybe after elk season, and we'll do a recap. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for having us on again. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. All right. All right, guys. Take care. Bye.